Maximize Your Influence is your podcast for the latest persuasion, sales, and negotiation techniques. Our mission is to help you influence on command, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your host is the author of Persuasion IQ, Laws of Charisma, and the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Now, your host, Kurt Mortensen. Let's get to the point. Maximize your influence. Kurt Mortensen here as we give you the skills, techniques, tools you need to persuade with power to maximize your influence and to influence without authority and to give persuasive presentations. I guess that wasn't to the point, but that's what we talk about today as we finish up lying, deception, and get into a little emotional intelligence here as we talk about the world of persuasion and influence. So hopefully you're having a good week. I'm recovering for the Dominican Republic this week. Did a couple of webinars, getting ready to go to Dallas and uh, having some fun doing some local training. Well, so pretty simple. Let's kick it off. Those of you who know the drill, we are going to start off with, instead of the blunder, the Persuasion Ninja. <laughs> now, being in the DR fascinates people that make a living selling, begging, or even those that just go along the beach selling people stuff that don't want stuff, but they try to sell stuff. And so you have this highly resistant audience laying on the beach, drinking their pina coladas or whatever they're doing, and they try to persuade people. And I thought it was fascinating to watch the different people trying to beg on the street corners of the city. And then you have the beach people, we'll call them, the beach salespeople that have their jewelry, to taking a picture with a monkey, to getting your hair braided, to just buying stuff. And so I was stopping people on the beach saying, look, tell me, I will buy whatever you have. Tell me what are the tools that influence what's working for you. And I found some fascinating information that I want to share for me. These are the ninjas. These are people, instead of starving, they're going face-to-face, door-to-door, well, not door-to-door, but beach-to-beach, persuading people that don't want to be persuaded. And I mean, these are the ninjas of persuasion. So I don't think it counts as a scientific study. It was only about six or seven people that I interviewed bought their stuff. But this is what they said. This is interesting stuff, kind of ninja-type information. What worked? And you can pick and choose what would work for you. A couple people said eye contact. They said people pretend to sleep or not see you. You're not there, but if they can get eye contact, if they can get you to look in their eyes, that is huge for them. And a couple also mentioned, this is interesting, not to wear eyeglasses. That goes with the eye contact information that they need to see your eyes, especially if they are talking about purchasing your product or service. Well, I guess it's mostly product, but eye contact taken off your glasses Another comment he was either sitting down next to them on a chair or kneeling down in the sand next to them, getting close. There was kind of a connection there. And they all agreed humor, smiling, breaking the ice was critical because there's that resistance. I don't like you. I don't know you. I don't want to buy from you. I don't want to even hear from you. Just give me some sun and let me drink my pina colada. They have to get that humor, that smile to break the ice. That was a common theme between all of them. And along those lines, too, is anything they can do to boost esteem, you know, a compliment to start the relationship, get them to smile, get them to laugh, compliment them on the resort or anything. They said if they could compliment on something, 
they were on their way to persuasion. Four of them did talk about inoculation. They didn't use it in those terms. But inoculations, when you pre-solve objections, just take a look. I know you don't have any money with you. You don't have to purchase now. Do me a favor. Help me out to get people to look at what they were offering. And a couple of them said just getting that commitment, known as foot in the door, a sequential request. Are you interested? If you had your wallet, would you purchase? If you had cash on you, would you buy? Well, yeah, sure. Well, it's probably a lie, but that's what people say. Great, I'll find you later. And the prospect's thinking, yeah, okay, whatever. What are the chances if you see me later? And these people have such great memories, they'll track you down. They'll find you and say, yeah, here, I'm back. You said you'd buy. They remember that commitment. They're in deep. They'll have to get their money and purchase. Of course, having a great deal and a great product, they'd start off really high. With any negotiation in a lot of these countries where, yeah, the necklace is $20 and you get it for three. You're like, whoa, what a great deal. No brainer. That's a big part of success. If you get them to recommend a friend or point to a neighbor or point to a colleague, that would be interested that builds credibility, and those are some of the things that they use. Kind of interesting as you talk about the ninjas of persuasion. I mean, this is a hard persuasion. People that hate you, don't want to hear from you, just want to relax, drink a pina coladas, and you have to persuade them. Kind of goes a lot into the begging category and the street persuasion. I was looking at some research in San Francisco. I spent a couple of weeks there. What was it last month, I think it was? where they are getting a lot more people sleeping on the street, begging, panhandling, you can call it. And they did a little research talking to people what was effective, what was working, what was not working. And there's a lot of similarities here. They found out that panhandling, begging is a lot like successful advertising. One person compared it to cold calling because they had been in the telecom industry before cold calling. He says it's the same type of thing you got to grab people's attention. you got to get them engaged. And so they did some surveys with some of the people that were getting panhandled. They says, all right, is this panhandling like welfare or are they more like entrepreneurs? 57% said welfare. I can see that. 42% said entrepreneurship. It's a little bit of both. I mean, at least they're out there doing something, trying to gain money instead of just expecting money. I don't know. It's kind of a, a split there. And here's what's interesting. 58% of the respondents were more likely to give a panhandler who entertains than simply ask for help. Entertainment, engagement. You see the funny signs where they admit they're going to buy beer or drugs with what they're doing or something funny, something interesting, something aroused curiosity. That tends to help. And then they surveyed who's the best beggar or panhandler in San Francisco. And I guess this person has a name. This guy's name called Bushman. He's in Fisherman's Wharf, if you've ever been there. He covers himself in brush, and he bursts out of the hedges, out of the bushes, and scares tourists. And he solicits a payoff after scaring the snot out of people, if that's a word we can use. So there's something about surprise, distraction, grabbing people's attention. That's the one that's most memorable, probably because it engages an intense emotion. But that was part of of that process. So interesting science as we get ready to talk about what we talked about last week. And we talked about lying and deception. So before we get into our geeky article, let's do our listener email. Oh boy. This is from Ben from Michigan. It says 
Thanks for your podcast. And last week we talked about deception and lying. It's something I'm dealing with on a daily basis. I'm actually going through the Influence University Deception course. Thank you for that information. Do have a few questions. What does emotional intelligence and detecting deception have in common? Well, that's a great question. That's what we want to talk about anyway. And Ben, of course, you already have membership to Influence University. I will upgrade you to the platinum level for taking your email today. Looks like Ben's in Frankenmoose. If you've ever been to Michigan, Frankenmoose is the Christmas capital of the world. They've got a Walmart-sized store that's just Christmas ornaments and goodies. It's just an amazing German Christmassy town. It's a lot of fun. Did a training there for the Michigan State Police. Shout out to them. And, of course, if you want to reach out to me, I'm at Kurt, K-U-R-T, at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. That's where you can find information at Influence University, which has the free archives to the past podcasts. In fact, you'd probably be interested in Podcast 253, where we're going to the questions so you can find out if people are telling the truth or not. But also at MaximizeYourInfluence.com is your Persuasion IQ test, the free book Maximize Your Influence, and if you're interested, the Advanced Persuasion Negotiation Courses under Power Negotiation. So, Ben, let's tackle this. Let's talk about it. And before I get into the straight content here, let me revisit a past geeky article. This comes from the Journal of Law and Human Behavior. And we talked a little bit about this last podcast as far as how much of a person's face do you need to see to find out if they're lying or not. And this study says, not much. They claim, you got to take this for what it's worth. I think it's a combination of both, but they claim that the less you see the face, the better. And they were looking at female witnesses wearing the, the hijabs, right? The full Muslim garments. And they were filmed in Canada, UK, Netherlands, all over the world about their testimonies. Half the ones saw this theft, right? It was a stage theft, but they thought anyway, they didn't know it was staged. And the other half had to lie to make their case. And they show these videos to people and students to see who was lying, who was not. And their faces were veiled. They couldn't see their faces. All they could focus on were their voices. And what's interesting is many of the people watching these videos, these veiled witnesses, actually turned away from the videos. I think we've all done that before, to kind of really, truly engage and listen, to pay more attention. And they were listening for implausibilities, inconsistencies, and the detail that they said. And what was interesting is that none of the people in the study actually wore the hijabs on a normal basis, but they found that that listening of the voice, listening for those inconsistencies and nuances in their voice and vocal fillers, which we'll talk about today, was more successful than watching people's faces. Now, again, just like last week we talked about detecting lies, it's all the above. We can hear voices, we need to look at nonverbals. We need to listen to what they're saying. I want to continue what we talked about last week about detecting deception and how do we know if people are lying? And my disclaimer has always been, always will be, I'm not trying to help you become better liars, only to be aware if people are lying to you. So let's continue. Remember last time was nonverbals. Let's talk about verbals. What can you hear in their voice that helps you understand if they're deceiving you or lying to you. Now, to review from last time, remember, we're looking for clusters. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven things that they're doing 
that indicates that they're deceiving you. Not just one, that they touched their face or done other things. We're looking for multiple things. We're looking for their standard behavior. Then we look for some of these things. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about the voice. Now, if you're hearing longer pauses, they're spending more time thinking about what the response is. Uh, That could be an indicator of lying. I mean, you could almost see a bigger bandwidth that they're trying to think about it more because it's harder to lie than tell the truth because you got to make up things. So you have longer pauses. You have more vocal fillers like, um, er, uh, you know. And if you're an English major, which I'm not, and you already know that, more speech errors you're going to find as they talk. Volume, that's an interesting one. You're just going to notice a difference. You listen to their volume and their standard behavior when you're talking about things that weren't stressful. They might mumble a little bit more or go really soft or go really loud like they're yelling. So there's not one or the other, but it's usually different. Rate will also change. If you see them decreasing their rates, usually sadness or disinterest. If they increase, it's anger and excitement. You also see things like stalling mechanisms, coughing, clearing the throat, buying time. Uh, I did not hear the question. Could you repeat that? I didn't understand it. I didn't get it. What are you saying? Are all indicators that it could be deception or what's known as fogging. I don't know if you've heard that term before. It's like swinging, if you know the sport baseball, swinging a baseball bat in the fog. It doesn't hit anything. And so they're just swinging, right? When you say like, all right, well, last Tuesday at 6 p.m., where were you? And they'll say something like, Tuesday? I don't even like Tuesdays. I don't even do things on Tuesday. Do you things on Tuesdays? You're like, hello, that had nothing to do with anything. They're just swinging the bat at nothing, right? Did you commit perjury? Really? Perjury? Man, that's an interesting word. Do you know that word comes from the word Latin? And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's known as fogging, okay? So you have to look at things like content. People tend to shift here, either giving you way too much detail. Oh, yeah, it was 4.27 p.m. and 37 seconds. I was on 4th Street. I was crossing crossing Beach Boulevard. You're like, who cares? Or you get the teenager information that we talked about last week is information overload or lack of detail, which lack of detail will be went out, who are you with, friends, what you do, stuff, okay, or they become very sarcastic or very inappropriate humor can really take people back as far as the content. So content tends to change. And be really careful of when they start repeating words or phrases, they shift the focus, they blame you, they pull the religion card. Those type of things could be a red flag of the world of deception. Now, lying's interesting. 52% say it's never justified. 40% say, well, sometimes. 65% it's okay to lie to protect someone's feelings. You look great in those jeans. <laughs> and here's what's bad. 33% say it's okay to lie about age or being sick for work. And it's real. Even eye movement. Now, there's been studies done by Kisborn and Ornstein, Bandler and Grindler about right-handed people. And I know a lot of interrogators use this, too, to check your eye movement. And that should be a whole another podcast. But basically, when you ask people a question you have to think about, visual people tend to look up. Auditory people tend to look to the side. Kinesthetic people tend to look down. But basically, and, and this is a right-handed person, when you are, again, I'm trying to simplify a really complicated science here. When most people 
most right-handed people look up and to the right, they're creating a memory. Basically seeing internal images of something they've never seen before. They call visually constructed images. For example, imagine a orange elephant. Imagine a green donkey. Those type of things. What would your wife or spouse look like with pink hair? What would a half elephant, half squirrel look like? Those type of things. So this means they're looking up and to your left. Now these skills take time. You need to have the bandwidth. It could be not concerned about what you're saying, but reading the person. But emotional intelligence, that's a whole nother podcast, really, if you think about it. But your EQ, your emotional intelligence, is a big indicator of your success, your income. You can have the highest IQ in the world, but it doesn't mean you're successful. EQ is more important to your success than IQ. Again, that's your emotional intelligence. And there's, there's really four parts to that. The first part is to identify your emotions. How are you and the other person feeling, identifying those emotions? And number two, understanding those emotions. Just because they're feeling anger, frustration, resentment, understanding why are people feeling this way? What does that feel like? Number three is leverage. So what is your emotional assessment of what you and the other person were thinking about and feeling about? And number four is manage. Managing your own emotions and their emotions, but understanding those emotions. The biggest factor here is reading other people's emotions. I mean, that's the key factor here. That's the success factor. Because our mind's pretty interesting. Our mind has the conscious side, the subconscious side. It triggers thoughts. Those thoughts trigger emotions, which trigger feelings, which trigger actions. And, And all those thoughts can come from society, nature, nurture, programming, beliefs, experiences, a lot of things that are happening there. But that emotional intelligence or understanding emotions is key to your success. The pioneer in this field is Daniel Goldman, and he coined the word EQ, and he talks about those that have high EQ have more confidence, more empathy, they're more successful with life, and they're more able to connect with people. And we don't have time to go into all the emotions today, but if you can just be aware to read people's emotions, their thoughts, their feelings, put yourself in their shoes, build a little empathy, figuring out why they're getting nervous, where the fear is coming from, reading their body language, understanding their voice, getting in their shoes and persuade them how they want to be persuaded. Now, all of a sudden, you'll be more successful in life when you're able to accomplish. That's the key thing. Persuade them how they want to persuade them. I mean, you can't do that. If you don't understand people, don't understand emotions, don't understand your own emotions, don't understand why people do, why people get nervous, why people lie, why people deceive, when you can understand that, you become a power persuader. So appreciate your time today. Tell your family, friends, and enemies about Maximize Your Influence, which is on iTunes under Maximize Your Influence, and Twitter has a unique handle. It's Max Influence here. And Ben, thanks for your email about emotional intelligence and deception. And Lisa, for last week, talking about lying and teenagers. Remember, the archive is available at InfluenceUniversity.com. Everything you need to know is at MaximizeYourInfluence.com, including all the products and services and advanced training you need, as is for a plug, to be more successful and to be able to go out and persuade with power.